0: Welcome to the Trainer Tools Podcast. I'm John Tomlinson. In this episode, I'm going to be speaking to Roger Greenaway. Roger's specialist subject is active reviewing, and that's the process whereby the debrief at the end of a training activity is about getting the most out of that time, the most learning, and keeping the energy going. I found this really, really useful, so I hope you do too. I'm here today with Roger Greenaway. Hi, Roger. How are you?
1: Hi. Well, thank you, John.
0: And what are you going to talk to us today about?
1: Well, the subject is my usual topic, which is active reviewing, which is debriefing, processing, reflection. It's the kind of skill that trainers or facilitators need after a training exercise.
0: Okay. Can you just talk us through that a little bit more? Because I'm not in... I'm still not entirely sure what that is. Okay. Uh, active, You call it active reviewing, is that right?
1: Yeah. I mean, in, in my work, the, the people that I train are mostly trainers who are already using activities of some kind in their work. So they would be um, tr- training exercises of, of, of many different kinds, simulations and games and, and so on. And after these exercises there's usually a set of questions that the trainer will follow in order to help people learn more from the activity. But if they just have a talk-based review, you often have the dynamic that the activity itself was quite quite active, but you come to the review part and the talking and often the energy goes down and the interest goes down, the participation goes down. So the idea with active reviewing is to keep energy involvement engagement high during the reflective process after the activity
0: so after any kind of activity on a training course there is yeah. that usually a plenary discussion as you say yeah and so it's a way of using the energy and all the great things that activity gives us and keeping that going through that review process yeah yeah so okay.
1: it's, it's trying to change the pattern that often happens, which is activity is excitement and review is dull or is the post mortem and and the uh, and often goes into um often the facilitator will ask an open question but the response is a kind of negative one. So as well as it being all talk, it often becomes negative energy because people are talking about things that went wrong. I mean the, the motivation is often to imp- improve and get better and so on. So you think, well, what what can we improve on? And as soon as you start asking that question, you're talking about all the things that went wrong and the review kind of gets out of balance. So the positive experience of doing the activity and actually doing something turns into talk and the talk is often focused on things that went wrong. So people feel a bit, it, it, it doesn't quite match. You know, they've they've had generally quite a good experience and it comes to review and there's kind of nitpicking going on and And that can result in kind of lower motivation.
0: You also get this thing whereby whoever speaks first, obviously nobody else is speaking at that point, so it's not very inclusive, but then that can often set the tone for the whole discussion, and it goes in the direction of whatever that first person says. Um, yep. so it may well be that especially if that person's an influential individual among the group, it could well be that they drag the discussion and you only you don't get a full breadth of learning or it may drag it in a particularly positive or negative direction.
1: Yeah, it's always difficult to keep high engagement um, at a group level. So a number of the methods that I use move between people working and pairs maybe on their own and then back to the group. And you keep to and froing between these different sizes so that they're not always taking it in terms of the group level because that can be something that c- can be difficult to sustain for very long.
0: And you mentioned before that this is your chosen specialist subject you're the usual topic for you why is it this one particular thing that you've chosen to focus on
1: well it probably goes back to the 1980s when i started in training Um, i worked for a place
0: 1980s yes (laughs) Uh, i was still just a young chap then
1: (laughs) yeah it was uh, a hall in the lake district which was a residential training center we used outdoor activities creative arts drama and occasionally field studies. And these are all mixed in together into training programmes for young people and adults. And uh, what happened over time, the courses got shorter and shorter and were wondering what to throw out. And the um, drama workshops and the creative arts workshops were the ones at greatest risk. And what happened over time was that the principles of drama and creative arts got turned into uh, reflective processes for reflecting on the outdoor activities or the simulation activities that were taking place in the training. So that was where I first came across this. And this was also a time where a lot of these methods were being developed. And I spent 20 years or more since then refining these methods, creating new ones and and so on. But that, that's where it all began.
0: So how are you going to structure what it is that you want to share today?
1: Well, the simplest way to do this is to base it on a learning cycle, which also came from the, the work I did at Bravey. And it's a four-stage cycle. And it's I call it a reviewing cycle or the active reviewing cycle because each stage of the cycle, there are different review processes involved. Uh, it fits very easily onto other cycles that people already know well. And I think it might be useful if I explain each stage and a kind of activity that a um, uh, reviewing activity that goes with each stage.
0: So do you want to talk us through the actual model itself first, the cycle, and then we'll delve down into each stage of it?
1: Okay. I, I refer to it as the 4F cycle, or more recently the 5F cycle. Um, the,
0: Still an evolving model. Yes. Is this your own model then?
1: Y- yeah, it came from uh, research I did back in the 80s. Right. But, but as you've discovered, there's nothing particularly uh, unique about it but I I use it with playing cards so the idea is that the playing cards help people to think it's something to play with and adjust and adapt rather than it's something to follow that is kind of clear guidelines which tends to be how people do follow models so the the first part is uh, facts is um, to do with awareness of what happened and I represent that with a diamond and the, one of the things about the diamond is it many different sides, so it's important after a group event to listen to different perspectives, and that's the different sides of the diamond. The second stage is feelings, which is represented by the heart, and that represents the experience uh, in what happened. Um, the third stage is the spade, which is digging a bit deeper into what happened, and this I call oh. findings. What you find when you dig.
0: I wondered how you were going to get the spade in. <laughs> I'm interested to know what the fifth one is as well. And the
1: club represents the fifth one and that's the future because the, the club is a little plant with and it's growing so it's uh, growing into the future. So the, the four stages are facts, feelings, findings and futures and the fifth F it was really there all along but the fifth F is freedom and flexibility, and this is represented by the Joker. Ah,
0: very clever, yeah, bringing the Joker in there.
1: And it was really there all along because my whole idea in presenting it in the form of uh, playing card suits was that people would kind of play with it, but I find that people were um, taking it being a bit too uh, rigid. So it was then that I introduced the Joker, and the Joker kind of appears in the middle of the cycle as something that's always present and just reminds people of the fact that they can um, uh, always adjust and adapt th- th- this model. R- really, every model should have a joker, because what, what models do, they're, they're very practical. They're useful simplifications of reality or simplifications of a process. Um, and, and that's precisely what a model is. A model is not the real thing. It's a, it's a useful simplification. And sometimes people get so caught up in a model that they kind of forget this. So the Joker is a reminder that there's a bigger world out there that is bigger than the model. And having it present in the form of an image of the Joker, I find people are more likely to remember it, recall it, and use it and refer to it than just saying it's important to be, um, to be flexible. Actually having an image representing that, I think re- has really helped people uh, m- make use of that.
0: Well, let's explore it in a bit more detail then, and you can talk, talk through how you actually use it in real life. First of all, do you actually explain this as a process and say, right, we are debriefing an exercise, we are going to follow this process? Or do you kind of like just do it organically and it just happens?
1: That's a good question. If I was um, working directly as a facilitator with a learning group, they might not know anything about this model. So it's, it's primarily something for facilitators to keep in their minds to help them structure their review. But of course, it's always helpful in any group for people to be more conscious of how they're learning. And um, at some stage, it's usually helpful to introduce a learning cycle of some kind to a group. But its primary purpose is to help the trainer or facilitators to structure their review session.
0: So let's start with, is it facts we start with first? Yeah. You said represented by a diamond.
1: Okay. Yeah. My favorite way of doing this is with action replay. And action replay—it actually came originally from video work. I I soon discovered worked a lot better without the video equipment. And and all the the usual way to set this up is um, you ask a group to select three episodes um, from the event that's just taken place. You ask them to select probably the best bits, the worst bits, and the most interesting bits, and you'll ask them to perform those. Those episodes again. So this is simply going back over what happened. So they have to recall what happened, where different people were sitting or standing or how they were moving, um, what they were saying, and so on. So the first part of it is a kind of memory test of just remembering what they were, where they were and what they were doing. And depending on the group and the situation, there's scope at the very beginning to play with it a bit with slow motion and fast forward and using a kind of remote control. But the idea is that eventually you focus in on a key moment, a critical part of that story. And this is where it gets a little bit surreal, but no group I've worked with has ever had any problem with the surreal nature of this. Uh, What you do is you hit the pause button so everyone freezes at this particular point. And you then, with a a dummy microphone, you interview people who are taking part in the uh, reconstruction. And if there's any audience, you can interview the audience as well. But the main idea with the interview is to bring out um, new, new information that was not apparent to everyone at the time. So this is where you actually depart from the, uh, the diamonds zone in talking about what happened, and you can then ask questions from any part of the learning cycle. So you might ask people what they were feeling at the time, what they were thinking at the time, or what their intentions were at the time. And so what starts out very clearly in the diamond zone, which is just reenacting what actually happened, when you use the pause button and you go in and interview people, you bring out more information at that particular point. And what I've found in using this is people, um, people's attention is far higher than in a group discussion. People's recall is far higher and people energy, people's energy is far higher. Um, if you're using action replay format rather than just sitting in a group saying um, describe the point when or or, or whatever because you – People actually feel as if they're back in the in that place in that moment again. So it makes the whole thing far more lively and far more concise and precise as well.
0: So you'd mainly use it after a particular exercise, just to say, "What was the key learning for you in that exercise? What was the moment that was most important to you?"
1: Yeah, I would phrase it a, a little differently. It might. I mean, if it's um, if it's to do with teamwork, it might be what was where do you think teamwork was working at its best you right. know, as a team and the, the learning they might have already learned something from it but the idea i would see in the review process itself is that there would be extra learning because what you're doing through the interviews is you're bringing out new information about what different individuals were thinking and feeling at the same point in time and if action replay is working well people will discover for the first time during a review just how upset someone was at a particular time or just how delighted someone was at a particular time. They might not have realised it during the event itself. So you actually bring out new information and by bringing out the new information you bring out new learning.
0: So how do you get the group to actually choose which episodes to focus on?
1: Well it is their choice. The I describe the simplest way is just what was one of the best moments, one of the worst moments, one of the most interesting moments. But, you know, if, if they've got two or three best moments, there's no reason why, they, why you can't accept those. And, and there might be times which you want to guide them towards particular kinds of episodes. Like you might decide as a trainer that it would be a good idea for the group to focus on the, all the best moments or to focus on all the worst moments. But overall, you'll be wanting to get the balance right. If, if there's disagreement, you just see all the moments that they're interested in showing. Right. Um, of course, you have to look at the time available and so on. But but I, I don't normally encounter that as a problem.
0: So that's action replay. It sounds a little bit like role-playing. Do you get, tend to get any resistance from people?
1: Well, I find there's far less resistance in action replay because all people need is a memory of what happened and... Than to repeat what they've already done. So you're not asking them to be very imaginative or to think out of the box. It's just something, something quite straightforward is just to repeat what you've done in the past. And if people enjoy doing action replay, then um, that is a good lead in to doing uh, role play and. So if I'm thinking of doing role play with a group, it's a good idea to use action replay at some stage. And then you can judge whether they're ready for doing role play, which I see is more challenging. Because in role play, you need, to, um, you need more imagination. You're doing things for the first time. You've being improvising and spontaneous. And, and all of these things are far more difficult than just remembering what you did and doing it again.
0: So it's much less threatening, much easier for people to get into yeah, and kind of warms warms them up for potential role play.
1: Yeah, but but they're both drama based, and I wouldn't say that role play is any more valuable than replay because you can get so much value from replay itself. But that they achieve their the purpose is a bit different. because that replay is learning more from what has already happened, and role play is more about rehearsing what you might do in the future. But, but they're both drama based, that's the connection. So, if people have clearly got drama skills on display in the replay, then um, you can tap into those and use those in the role play. So, so, the two do work together quite well. But the following up with role play is an optional extra.
0: Do you have a drama background yourself?
1: Uh, yes. Right. I, I used to be an English teacher, and so some of my drama background comes from that. But also at the training centre I worked at, quite a lot of colleagues uh, offered drama workshops and uh, seemed to be spending a lot of time in uh, picking up their uh, ideas in drama workshops. But it wasn't a formal drama training.
0: That's interesting. I think um, there is quite a lot of crossover between training and performance because oftentimes it is like being on a stage. So it's interesting, quite a few people in the business are interested in things like drama or performance in some sort. Yes, yes. So that's the facts stage, and what you're trying to achieve in that is to get people to look at what happened in a quite a factual sense. Is there any particular reason you chose the diamond to represent that?
1: Well, the, the diamond is the, the diamond is hard, and people think of the facts as hard. And also, the diamond has a sparkle, so it's what people first tend to see. So often, what happens is people have the perception, their own individual perception of what happened during an exercise. But after doing a replay, that perception changes because they notice other people and they listen to other people. And their story about the event subtly changes or sometimes dramatically changes uh, as a result of watching or taking part in the replay. So that's why I mentioned earlier, the different sides of the diamonds. As people notice different people's angles on what happened, um, they get a a richer and different view of, of, of the process they've been through.
0: Right, so there's quite a lot in that, um, what may feel like a fairly arbitrary choice of a playing card. it's actually quite a lot in that, isn't there?
1: Yeah, yeah, there, there can be. And um, I wonder if that's why they chose the original
0: suits, rather than just them being simplistic shapes, if there was actually more behind it.
1: Yeah, there, there seems to be a good fit with all, all the symbols.
0: I'm going to check on Wikipedia afterwards to find out the source of. <laughs> Of uh, playing card suits, but um, that—that's the—that's us talking about the the facts stage. That was your first F. The second stage was the F uh, feelings, the heart. Yeah. And you've already yeah. sort of indicated that some of the action replay comes over into that because you start asking how different people felt. Do you want to talk us through this stage?
1: Okay, with the feelings. I mean, you can take action replay all the way through the four stages, but I regard action replay as belonging in the in the diamonds, in the facts, because the starting point is clearly reenacting what happened. Now, if we're moving into the second stage of the hearts, this is about the experience. And you're taking a lot of trouble usually as a trainer to choose or design activities that will create the kind of experiences that you want your participants to have. And in other learning models, this is often skipped often learning models tend to go quite quickly into intellectualizing or abstracting learning and it becomes a very conceptual thing. And I think it's quite important, not in every kind of learning, but in most kinds of learning, it's important to refer back to what what was actually experienced, what was actually felt. So that's where this model is different from some others. Now, one of my favourite ways of getting into feelings, which can be difficult for some, is to ask them to make a graph. A graph? A graph, yeah. Showing their ups and downs during right. the event. Right, okay. I mean, yeah. the, the basic form of the graph refers to emotions, but depending on your training topic, it can refer to all kinds of other things as well. And th- this also introduces another principle in the training is, is that a lot of diagrams are used in training. And whenever there's a diagram, I'm always tempted to blow up the diagram and make it as big as possible, usually recreate it on the floor. Because once you've got a really big, giant diagram, people can walk around inside the diagram and understand it better by walking around inside it. So the storyline is is an example of this, where people, um, although they can do it in miniature on a bit of paper, I prefer they get a rope and construct the graph on the on the floor and then walk along the rope as they tell the story um this i guess keeps it in the kind of drama based field in a way because you're asking people to um to walk and uh, perform but i find that when people are telling a story as they walk along the rope it tempts them much more to use um, emotions in the way in which they tell the story and make therefore makes it a much richer story and a much more interesting story. Oh,
0: right. So just the act of, I suppose there's movement in there, isn't there? And there's, I suppose they're more physically engaged with the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. That actually allows them to be more emotional Yeah. in the story they're telling. That's really interesting.
1: Yeah, but... What often happens in a a group setting is you you can kind of spring questions on people and they don't have a lot of thinking or preparation time. So one of the general principles of these different um, tools is to try and give people thinking and reflection time before they speak to the group. So in the case of the storyline and laying out the rope or or drawing it, if you do the small version, but um, in laying out the rope, they are – thinking through their whole story and they're not talking as they lay out the rope they're thinking to themselves as they lay out the rope so that's their quiet thinking reflecting time and then the benefit to the audience it might be one other person or the whole group the benefit to the audience is before the person starts talking they can see the big picture they can see what's coming up they can see the shape of the story that's to come so that is always quite helpful for the listener to be able to, um, to see that. Something else that I usually throw in with storyline is to give the listener or the listening group a special role. So rather than just sitting back and listening to the story, I ask them to pause the person whenever they reach the high point or the low point in the story and to ask a question at that point. And this introduces the spade part, which is stage three, in, into the storyline.
0: The, the uh, digging in. Digging into the detail. Yeah. Would you use this as well as action replay or would you use this instead of?
1: It'd probably be instead of because action replay tends to recreate group situations. So if, you, if you're, if in the um, review you've anticipated it's going to be useful to look at the group situation, then action replay is really useful. If you've anticipated in the review that it's important for individuals to tell their version of events, their story, um, then storyline is particularly useful. So I'd usually go for one or the other rather than both. Right, okay. I mean, the storyline isn't exclusively about the experience because there are facts involved. There is a timeline there. There is a series of events. So the storyline builds on a factual sequence of events, but the fact that you're creating an up-and-down shape um, means that you're emphasising the, um, the the feelings that were around in the story,
0: and it's a, and as a tool, it's enabling people to express feelings more effectively.
1: Yes, yes, yeah.
0: Hence, it fitting into that part of the model.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, t- t- something else I'm quite keen on is a uh, appreciative um, style of questioning. Um, that this find fits very well with storyline. If people are at the top. Of a, at a high point in their story, uh, the question that can be asked is what helped you reach that high point so that this helps to reinforce the positive aspects of the story when people reach a low point in the story the appreciative question to ask is what helped what helped things turn around what helped you recover from that point point? Um, and that brings out the helpful factors that that move things up again so these two appreciative kind of questions help people to appreciate what forces were around in themselves or in the situation or in others that um, help things to turn out well so that's a style of questioning that fits particularly well with storyline but it does take you into the next stage which is the uh, the digging around stage with a spade
0: i can see you getting quite deep onto things there you could really be getting into quite deep areas which would be quite potentially quite challenging and quite interesting
1: um, yeah, but I find it's a relatively safe way to get there.
0: Oh, I didn't mean it as a—I didn't mean it in any way as a negative thing. I'm quite happy to go into fairly sort of deep and challenging areas. Yeah. But uh, we are mainly talking about how to debrief an activity. Right. Whereas actually, the way you're describing this, it does sound more profound, deeper. So would you use this just for any old activity or is it a particular type of activity?
1: Th- this can apply to any activity and, and something I could have said earlier in my introduction is that of course we have experience all the time and and our day-to-day work is full of experience so that these are, can also be used as kind of coaching tools well it sounds
0: almost like an activity in itself not necessarily just a, a, a debriefing of another activity
1: this is why I, I name these processes active reviewing because there is always an activity present in the reviewing process it's rarely just a conversation without any visual aids. So th- these activities and visual aids are designed to help learners reflect, express, and communicate, rather than doing it entirely with words. Which is clearly what we're having to do in a audio uh, in- interview, in the in face to face in the training room. Um, you can have all kinds of pictures and ropes and diagrams and reenactments that ha- help to. Um, Help people to communicate in a much more using a wider range of senses and learning styles and intelligences and so on, rather than keeping strictly to the uh, to, to words. So, so these these tools are really tools to help learners communicate and explore things. Um, I, I see your your website is called Trainer Tools, and the tools I'm talking about are in general training tools, but. More specifically, they are tools to help the learners communicate. So sometimes I think these trainer tools or facilitator tools are more accurately described as learning tools because they're tools that help learners reflect, express, um, investigate, and so on.
0: Yeah, I would completely agree with you. I think the whole role of training is is exactly that. It's there to help help people communicate and explore ideas and all of that kind of stuff. It's it's not about trainers delivering material.
1: Well I mean it can be partly about that. But when when people talk about visual aids, the first thing tend to think about is visual aids that help the trainer get their message across. Um, But when I talk about visual aids, although that is a use for them, my primary emphasis is on visual aids that help learners reflect, express, investigate, explore and so on. So they're for Um, participants to reflect and communicate.
0: What I think I'm finding very interesting about everything that you're saying is it's much more than visual and much more than just conversational sort of intellectual it is actually building in lots of ideas about how you can get people more holistically engaged
1: I think there's in the first two methods I've described action replay and the storyline there is some movement involved but I think as I move into the next stages there's kind of even more movement involved and right. I think the physical, what I'm always keen to look for in these methods or in designing or developing methods is how the conversation or the, the, the verbal communication is supported by the physical movement. And I think you'll see in the next couple of methods how this is, is even more the case.
0: All right, well, let's get on with that then. Let's go to um, what's next is the spade, isn't it? Which yeah. I've forgotten what the F stands for, but it was about digging deeper. <laughs> Yeah,
1: the F is what what you find when you dig deeper, so it's uh, findings. Ah, okay. And usually the the digging deeper is with the question, um, why or how, which is to look at the the reasons why things happened as they did. But in in truth, this whole area of spade is really the thinking area that that people associate with thinking and learning, whereas we've just left the uh, hearts area, which is more about feelings and emotions. Um, Sometimes... People approach things the other way around, in which case you can play the joker or the freedom card, and you sometimes find it useful to go into the thinking first and then the feeling. But um, usually I find it useful to find out what the experience is first and the feeling side before um, exploring in greater depth with, with the thinking. And I think I just demonstrated that with the questions you can ask on the storyline.
0: And you mentioned there about the joker, about playing the joker. Yeah, which I was going to ask you at the end, but seeing as you've mentioned it, so that yeah. would be for allowing someone to kind of break the process, to yes. kind of step outside the model. Yes. Right.
1: Um, in, in all things like this, you, you need to find the, the balance between having a structure to follow and playing the joker, which is essentially improvising. And, and I think if you keep to a set structure all the time, in the end, that structure becomes a weakness because people are wanting to break out of it all the time. Uh, if you if you improvise all the time, then that eventually becomes a weakness because there's no structure. So it's about finding the balance between the between the two. So I'm not anti structure or pro improvising. I'm finding the right balance between the two.
0: I like that, and I, I very much like the analogy of the Joker. Yeah, I think yeah. that works well, I and mean, it fits with your playing card thing anyway. But even so, it's wide has a wider application. Yeah. So what would be a method for doing the uh, spade findings bit?
1: Okay, well, the, the one that I've chosen for this is a, a spectrum of opinion, uh, which is finding out the range of opinions on an issue in, in the group. It might be about directly related to team performance. You know, we, uh, what, what did you think of your performance on that, that exercise? And some people in the, think, in the group will think that it was excellent, and brilliant, and others in the group might be quite critical of it. So you create a physical spectrum, and ask people to choose a point to stand on this spectrum. And so instead of uh, having just two positions, which was it was good or it was bad, you have all kinds of shades of opinion in between. And um, seeing these shades of opinion, um, I think, is more uh, is is very helpful. Now, when I first came across this method, it was a straight line spectrum, and when people were stood in line, they could see the neighbour, but they couldn't see much else. So what I've done with this, I've curved it, curved the spectrum around into a horseshoe shape, which gives the method its name, because then people can not only on stage, in the sense they've chosen their position where to stand, but they're also in the audience. They can also see where everyone else is standing. So it can quickly lead to um, group discussion, because within a few seconds, you can see precisely what other people's um, position is, but I often introduce an in-between stage, which is talking to your friendly neighbour. Which is often whenever there's a difference of view in a group, you can, if you're not carefully, you're straight into confrontation, which can um, reduce participation or have other problems. So the first stage can be talk to a friendly neighbour, which means that if you choose to talk to somebody who's standing close to you, you're likely to agree with each other. And this is done in pairs or in threes. This part helps people to think through and clarify what they might say in the whole group. So it's a kind of preparation time. And I find that stage is quite useful because people are engaged because initially they make their silent statement by choosing their position on the spectrum. And then they're engaged by having a conversation in twos and threes. But of course, once you step into the whole group process, the level of engagement tends to go down. The level of engagement is higher in a horseshoe process than it is just sitting in a group and talking um, because everyone shows by where they're standing what their position is on the issue.
0: Right. And then you would just facilitate a discussion around that. So looking at you've done the friendly neighbour bit, but then from yeah. that point on, was you then going to start having conversations of, of the more extreme ends, I guess?
1: Yeah. yeah, and and the the benefit you get from being in a horseshoe, you, you can ensure that every section of the horseshoe uh, speaks up, is involved in the discussion. Uh, Whereas what might happen in an ordinary group discussion is you just hear from the two ends and you don't hear from the middle ground. And often the middle ground is common sense or the balanced view, or or it might even be where the leader is, the the leader who can appreciate um, the the two extremes. So it does help with participation. Now, as a facilitator, you can choose to facilitate the whole discussion or you can use the facilitation abilities of those in the group. And you can... um, and prompt people within the group to ask questions to other positions.
0: Have you used this in a kind of team-building environment? Yes. It feels like it could be interesting in terms of exploring different points of view.
1: Yeah, and I also use it uh, for feedback for myself. Um, one of the key issues in training, I find, is is pace. Uh, do people want me to speed up or slow down. So I'll often use the horseshoe, the, the middle part is just right, Um, One side is speed up, one side is slow down. Um, People choose their position. We then have a discussion about the training process itself. And I find it a very good way of getting um, feedback on the training process. And I can then adjust things afterwards. But um, it's not a matter of precision, of finding precisely the right pace to go at. Because as soon as you've asked about pace, all kinds of related issues come up. And I find it a really good way of getting a mid-program evaluation
0: yeah, I like that idea of the pace thing. That's yeah. good. I've I've sometimes used a a flip chart graph by graph by the door and said to people yes. at uh, at break time just put a mark on here where you think we are. Right. Which is a sort of a again a fairly sort of non-threatening easy way that people can indicate how they feel the the pace of the the day is going. Yeah. Yeah. But I like yeah. anything that makes it more physical. So that's so that was findings, that was the spade, that's digging down and really kind of exploring it. And then the last one you said was future which is represented by the club. Yes, yes.
1: Um, And to illustrate this one, I've chosen a method called turntable. And turntable is uh, quite closely related to the horseshoe. Uh, It uses similar principles that where you stand represents a point of view. Um, But turntable is is more of a a sitting down exercise. And uh, imagine you're sat in a... a triangle, yeah. Sat in a triangle? It, yeah, it's a c- kind of c- circular triangle. Right. Uh, ha- so, but hang you, hang, hang on,
0: on, hang on. <laughs> a, a circular triangle. Yeah, oh. um, I Presumably you mean the whole group is sat in this um, geometrically challenged circular triangle. <laughs> I think you have to decide if it's a circle or a triangle.
1: Uh, I'll forget about the triangle.
0: Okay, we're going with circle. Okay. Right.
1: Okay. Right, the turntable. I'll I'll describe uh, the basic, the the simple form of the turntable. Um, And and one of my favourite uses of it, it's towards the end of a programme, people are wondering about how effective this training is going to be in the workplace. And some might be quite optimistic that the things they've been learning on the the training programme are going to work really well and others might be a bit pessimistic and there might be other individuals who are swaying between the two. Um, And this exploring these pessimistic and optimistic attitudes on the turntable can be quite a useful preparation or or link between the training program and transferring the learning back into the workplace. And uh, what you do in, in the turntable is you have one side of the circle are the optimistic seats, and the other side of the circle are the pessimistic seats. And when people are sat in these seats, they try hard to represent the views and say the kinds of things that they would say in those seats. So you might have somebody who's naturally optimistic about the whole thing, but as they move around, when they end up in the pessimistic seats, they try to be pessimistic, even though that might not be how they're feeling Uh, They try to be pessimistic, not by making stuff up, by referring to real events and so on, but putting on a kind of pessimistic hat. Um, So the idea in Turntable is every couple of minutes you ask people to stand and move around a couple of chairs usually. Um, The whole rotation would usually take about um, 10 minutes and people would spend equal time on the pessimistic side and on the optimistic side. The value of doing this is that people can appreciate more from the two different perspectives. And um, this hopefully ends, they end up in an ideal world, they end up in a kind of uh, realistic position where um, they picked up the spirit of optimism, but they also are a little cautious that the pessimists have done it, or when people have been in the pessimistic seats, they've usefully come up, highlighted barriers or problems that might exist so people are better prepared for for these barriers when they return to work.
0: So when they're in these when they're in this circle, yes. They are are you asking them a question, a specific question that they answer with the relevant hat on?
1: Well, there's just one basic question is is um, is this training going to work? Is this training right. is is this training going to make a real difference back in the workplace? That is your question and you ask people when they're sitting in the optimistic seats to make an optimistic answer to the question, and when they're in the pessimistic seats to make a pessimistic answer to the question.
0: And are degrees of optimism and pe- pessimism, it being a circle, it implies that there's a, a gradual, or are you, just, are you just really splitting it into two?
1: Yeah, you're just splitting it into two. But sometimes if you just have a two-sided turntable, it can be a bit too confrontational. So right. it's easiest okay. to explain it initially as a two-sided turntable. But it can be useful to have a third side. And on the pessimistic, optimistic one, the third side can be realists, which is really where you want people to uh, end up in their heads.
0: So we've gone from a two-sided circle to a three-sided circle, which is where yes. the, the triangle <laughs> confusion yes. came in. But you could have that realistic bit as well. Yes, Yes. Um, so each person just sits uh, will sit in either two or three places, depending on whether or not you include the realistic bit. Is that correct? Yes, correct. And then, uh, uh, sorry, go on.
1: I, and I I started by saying it was um, that it was connected to horseshoe because whenever you decide to end the turntable, you, you need to appreciate that people have been role playing, and sometimes people get stuck in roles at the end of uh, any kind of role play. And one of the quickest, easiest and simplest ways of getting people out of role is to turn the turntable into a horseshoe. So you can say, well, during this debate, some of you are very convincing on on the pessimistic side, but I'm not sure if you're speaking from the heart or just being really good actors. And likewise for optimists. So it'd be interesting to finish this by choosing the position where you really feel that you are. So if you feel extremely optimistic, you stand in this position. If you feel extremely pessimistic, you stand in this position and you choose any point in between. So using – and then people will be standing in positions just outside of the seats, just outside of the chairs. And then people just simply go into position then and look around – and that can be the finish of it. It could be a continuation discussion, but usually I just ask people to look around, register where people are, and that's um, the position where people feel their true position is on that spectrum. So whatever the topic of the turntable, it's always useful with a kind of reality check, which is what really is your view on this topic, and you can see where um, people stand on the issue.
0: Right, that sounds similar to de Bono's hats, isn't it? That same sort of
1: principle but I think the, the technical difference is with hats, people tend to stay in the same place and they're moving the hats around, whereas in uh something like horseshoe or turntable the the positions are fixed, and it's the people who move around and and I think there's always value in having people moving so I would tend to prefer methods that involve people moving to different places to show their, what they're thinking or what their views are, rather than having objects move around. Um, they're both valuable things to do, but I think the actual physical movement of people is on balance more valuable than having objects move around.
0: Yeah, also I think that there's too many hats in Bono's Hats for um, this kind of thing. I think having just the two or three positions to take is uh, yeah. is a simpler way of, of ending that.
1: I mean, all I've really done here in, in this interview is, is illustrate four different methods that go with these four different uh, positions on the cycle. But I haven't mentioned anything about picture-based work, for example, which is often a big part of my training. And, and there is, you can use pictures at all of these Four different stages, pictures to look at facts, pictures to look at feelings, uh, pictures to um, help people investigate the reasons why things are happening, pictures for the future. So there are many different processes. Um, I just hope it's been useful showing four different ways in which to explore these different stages of the cycle.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really important point that you have only just illustrated one example for each stage of the model. And there are loads and loads of different ways that we could, ex- could use each, each step in the model.
1: Yeah, but what I've also been to show is that all of the methods that I've chosen to um, explain are active methods. They all involve people getting out of their seats and moving around, uh, but not just simply to raise energy, but to help people become more focused. More focused in action replay because the interviews put them on the spot. More focused in storyline because when people are at high or low points, they're faced with very specific questions. More focused on with horseshoe because people aren't just saying yes or no, they're showing their shades of opinion. Um, the more focused bit doesn't really come into the turntable, but I think you can see how turntable helps to free people up from always seeing things from the same perspective. It forces people to try and understand what it is like to be in the shoes of other people. So there's a kind of empathy, and an attempt to make people a little more empathetic and understanding of other points of view in Turntable, even if they don't actually change their view during the process.
0: I think that's something that runs through the whole model is not only is it kind of trying to make learning deeper and be more engaging, is that it is a real opportunity, again, to be a lot more physical and to expose people to lots of different points of view, which I've always believed is one of the great things about training is the social aspect and understanding and bouncing off other people.
1: One of the themes I have more workshops is moving bodies, moving minds. I think the four methods that I've described would would fit very well in a in a workshop of that of that name, um, because uh, particularly in the turntable, the last one, as people move around in different positions, they actually see the world from a different place, and by seeing the world from a different place, it helps them to appreciate other points of view. So the movement in the reflecting is it, part of the review and reflection process movement really helps people to see the world differently and to think differently. And if training is about change and getting people to change, how they see, then some learning happens in the training activities, but there's a whole lot more learning can happen within the review process itself. I think when tools involve movement, um, physical movement, they're more likely to assist mental movement, which is change and learning and performance, all the things that we're trying to uh, interfere with <laughs> as trainers.
0: So to summarise the whole model, it is a way, of, a way of reviewing activities in a much more yes. engaging and holistic way. And we go yes. through these four Fs of, first of all, facts, where we're trying to expose what actually happened, but look at it from as many different points of view as possible. Yeah. Moving, moving into feelings, where we bring in the emotions... Findings yeah. where we dig down and get a lot more um, depth of what actually happened. And yeah. then lastly to future, obviously looking yeah. at the next steps. And then we've always got the joker we can play so we can break out the model. It's Because it's more about those, the, the quality of those discussions and the learning than it is about following a model.
1: Yes. Excellent. Thank you for that summary. <laughs> it's all <Yeah>. right.
0: <laughs> so if yeah. people want to know more about that or more about you, how would they get in contact with you, Roger?
1: Uh, The easiest way is through my website, which is reviewing.co.uk.
0: And you have a page on the Trainer Tools website, which is www.trainer-tools.com. And on there, there is your uh, Roger's bio and links to your website.
1: Okay. Excellent. Well,
0: thank you very much for your time today, Roger. That was really interesting.
1: Well, thank you, John. And I look forward to uh, reading more of the interviews on your website.
0: So that was me speaking to Roger Greenaway about active reviewing. I can't remember why he dissolved into laughter at the end of that because it's um, a couple of weeks since we recorded this, but I hope you found it really useful. If you find these podcasts, these Trainer Tools podcasts, useful, please do go to the page on iTunes and give it a review, ideally a very positive five-star review. Thank you very much. See you next time.